You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Christ Walk Church, how is everybody doing this morning? So, so good to be in the house with you. So good to Um, Just my goodness, what an incredible presence of the Lord that's here with us today. Thank you so much for the way that you worshiped and could hear you singing. That always does a pastor's heart good when um, the congregation is singing louder than what's coming through the speakers and just the way that you worship and seeing people um, clap and and raise their hands and just engage. I, I believe the Lord is pleased this morning, but we are not done yet. He still has more in store for us today. Amen. Amen. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me, or perhaps if you're on a smart device, you would swipe with me to um, the New Testament. Uh, In case you're unfamiliar, the Bible's divided up into two sections of Scripture. Towards the beginning of the Bible, we have the Old Testament, and then the second chunk of Scripture is the New Testament. At the top of the New Testament, there are those first four books Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books in particular are such good news is because they tell of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so we're actually going to land together, um, not just this week, but for the next several weeks um, in that first gospel, the gospel of Matthew uh, chapter 5, because we are kicking off a brand new series today called Hashtag Blessed. We're going to talk about what it looks like for us to be blessed as we kind of dig into the Beatitudes, which are the first handful of verses there in Matthew 5. We'll land there in just a minute so you can stick your finger there and hold your place um, and we'll get there momentarily. I I recently came across uh, the results of a poll that was conducted by Psychology Today, where they asked 52,000 Americans what would make them happy. And the answers kind of, they just were all, all different. They ran the gamut kind of across the board. Some people said friends. Some people attached happiness to their social life or their job or maybe their love life. Others said that it was recognition, popularity, success. Some said, I'd be happy if I could just live in the city. Other people said, I'd be happy if I could just live in the country. Some people said that happiness was, was tied to their religion or their recreation or the joy they found in parenting or their kids or in marriage or others even found happiness when their partners were happy. And in looking at the results of this poll, this, this survey, one of the main takeaways is that most people seem to try and find happiness through the external parts of life. And it's, it's interesting how our ideas of the things that will make us happy change as we age or as our surroundings and circumstances change. For example, when we're infants, as long as we have a full belly and a dry bottom, we're probably pretty happy. But as we get older, it takes much different things and much different circumstances in order to produce those same kinds of feelings of happiness. And it's, it's what uh, some experts refer to as when and then thinking. It's statements like this, when I get to be a certain age, then 
I'll be happy. Or when I get a car, then I'll be happy. Or when I graduate, then I'll be happy. When I make a certain amount of money, then I'll be happy. When I get a job, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I finally am able to buy a house, then I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. When the kids finally move out of the house, then I'll be happy. When I retire, then I'll be happy. When I die and get to get away from all of you, then maybe finally I will be happy. See, it's our modern word for happiness comes from the root word hap, which means by chance. It's, it's where we get the English word happenstance. In other words, our happiness is tied into or directly dependent upon our circumstances. That when things are going well, we're happy. And when things are not going well, well, then happiness flies right out the window. And one of the things that we often discover in our pursuit of happiness is that right about the time we're able to achieve and accumulate and attain all of the things that we've pursued, all of those things that we thought were going to make us happy, reality slaps us in the face like a ton of bricks and we find ourselves asking the question, why am I not happy? It's like that one episode of Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. You've probably seen it. Some, unless you're like one of these teenagers up front, they're like, who's Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner? But some of you have seen this episode. You know, like it's, it's all predicated on Wile E. Coyote. He's just chasing after the Roadrunner over and over and over every episode. And at every turn, the Roadrunner constantly gets away from him and evades his grasp. But there's one episode where Wile E. Coyote finally catches him, right? And then he doesn't talk. He just holds up signs or whatever. And I remember he finally catches the roadrunner and he says, holds up a sign that says, well, now that I've caught him, what am I supposed to do with him? <laughs> right? Like we just get so caught up in the pursuit that when we finally get there, we realize that it was never the thing that was going to make us happy to begin with. That no matter how much stuff we accumulate, no matter how many goals we achieve, the happiness that we are seeking after is always fleeting. And even though we may experience it for a moment, it just never seems to last. Those that conduct studies in uh, human behavior will tell you that the way that we think has a tremendous power over our happiness and our ability to feel happy. In fact, Pastor Craig Rochelle, he says this. He says, you're always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. In other words, it is our outlook that determines our outcome, right? Or perhaps you've heard it said that our attitude determines our altitude. It reminds me of a story of a couple of twin boys who were the exact opposites of each other when it came to their outlook on life. One was a sunny optimist while the other was an incorrigible pessimist. And as a result, it was causing all kinds of trouble. They were constantly, um, you know, getting into it with one another and it was driving their mother insane. And so finally, at her wit's end, she decided that she was going to take him to the doctor to see if 
the doctor would be able to provide any kind of help to resolve this situation. And so the doctor spent a little bit of time with them and then came up with a plan of action for their treatment. And so he put the pessimistic son in a room with every delightful thing that he could have ever possibly imagined or wished for. All kinds of toys and games and and bright colors and everything just surrounded him with the very best of the best. And he took the optimistic son and put him in a horse stall full of manure. And there they spent the remainder of their day. And a little while later, the doctor came back in and he goes first to check on the pessimistic little boy. And instead of finding him engaged and happy and playing with all the toys, he was instead sitting in the middle of the room crying because he'd come to the conclusion that it was only a matter of time before he got taken out of this room and he wasn't going to be able to take any of the toys or the games home with him. And so it just wasn't going to last. And woe is me. And he went to visit the pessimistic son that was in the horse stall full of manure. And when he opened the door, he found that that kid was covered in poop from head to toe. He was throwing it around. He was slinging it. He was digging it and everything. And the doctor said, what are you doing? He said, with this amount of poop, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Our attitude determines... Our altitude, there is a mental picture that you will never get rid of right there. Our attitude determines our altitude. And so I want us to to keep that at the forefront of our minds as we turn our attention to the verses that form the text for today's message. Um, It's in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, actually. Jesus gives what we've come to know as the Sermon on the Mount, And right at the very beginning of this message, in the the opening verses of of Matthew chapter 5, he he gives us, he lays out the map, the, the pathway that is the secret of happiness. And over and over and over again, as we're going to walk through these um, over the coming weeks, uh, Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And that literally means when when you go into the original language and, and you translate it, the best translation that we can have for our English language it really is, it's, it's, it's happy are. So blessed are, when you see that um, in these verses over the coming weeks of this series, know that we're talking about Jesus is saying, hey, this is how you can be happy. And he lays out the principles for what true happiness looks like and how it can be attained. And and this section of the Sermon on the Mount is is called the Beatitudes. And and when you look at these Beatitudes, these, these principles for happiness, you immediately begin to notice that not one of them says anything about the acquisition of wealth or fame or power or anything that our present culture has begun to equate with happiness. Jesus says nothing in these verses about the absence of problems being the basis for our happiness. He says nothing about achieving all of our goals being necessary for happiness. And the reason that these principles don't include any of those things is because real happiness is not dependent upon whether or not we have any problems. It's it's not dependent on whether or not we have material wealth. These principles, which our Lord teaches us in this message, indicate to us that real happiness is not in regard to an accumulation of things. It's not the result of pleasant circumstances and sunshine and rainbows, but rather that happiness is instead an attitude. 
It's an attitude. It's about how we think about things, the way that we view things. It's an attitude of both our mind and, and, and overall, it's, it's an attitude of our heart. And I'm sure that we've all known somebody who seemed to have every worldly good that they could possibly desire, and yet they were still miserable. And then we've probably also seen people who, like, they were just broke, like broke as a joke, like destitute. But they were some of the happiest people that we've ever been around. It's because people are, are constantly searching for happiness. But the problem is, is that a lot of us are looking for it in all the wrong places. And so today, as we begin this series and we set the tone for the messages that are to come after it, we dig into the Beatitudes together. I, I want to point you to the one who is the source of all happiness. There is one one person alone who is the source of all of our joy, and his name is Jesus. Allow me to introduce him to you if you have yet to meet him. Jesus is the one who can free us from the bondage of the problems that try to rob us of our joy. Jesus is the one that can heal our wounded hearts and bring us everlasting joy. Jesus is the one who can bring to us an overflowing fullness of joy in our hearts. And now right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, this man named Jesus um, introduces us or, or gives us some insight into the kind of people for whom this particular message is intended. Jesus, at this moment, he's begun his earthly ministry, which is characterized by both compassion and power. And as a result of this combination, people are coming to him in droves. Everywhere he goes and teaches, no matter what town, no matter what city, wherever he's at, multitudes begin to form around him and, and people follow him as he reaches out to them and touches them and brings healing to, our, or to their needs. And, and in, in the, the closing verses of Matthew 4, um, the scene is set for us beginning there in 23. Um, I'll just read it for you, and then we're going to spill over into chapter 5 where you've turned to. Um, it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And news about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. And so that's what's taking place in this moment in history surrounding Jesus and his followers. And, and this brings us to chapter 5. And I want you to know something um, really important right here at the beginning of chapter 5. Because, uh, again, um, this is going to be foundational for everything that we're going to talk about um, over the next several weeks. And so right here at the beginning in, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, there's something that if we're not careful, we can just read over it and just move right past it and not connect the dots on something that is super important. It says, One day as he saw the crowds gathering... Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. 
See, what I, what I want to point out here right at the beginning is that this, this teaching on happiness, it was not for the multitude. It was not for the crowd. It's, it's not for the casual follower. It's not for the one who is just a bit curious about what a relationship with Jesus is all about. This particular teaching that Jesus shares with us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and the Beatitudes, as we kind of zoom in there, it's for the disciples. It's for people who have made up their minds to follow Jesus. It's for those who have determined that they're going to make an adjustment in their lifestyle. It's for those that truly want their lives to be different and to matter and to make a difference. No longer ordinary, but extraordinary. This is for those people who have decided once and for all that the line has been drawn in the sand and they've stepped across and said, I want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's who this message is for. And so if you're here today or you're watching with us online and, and, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you're not really quite sure where you stand with all of that. Maybe you're just kind of exploring things a little bit. You're feeling it out. I just want you to know, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Christ Walk Church is a place that is for everyone. You don't have to believe to belong here, and we're just so thankful that you would come and, and be a part of this, but you need to know that going forward, that, that for this message and the messages to come, that we're specifically talking to people who have placed their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ. You also need to know that I believe that that is hands down, unequivocally, the best way that we could possibly live. A lifestyle that is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. And for that, I will make no concessions or apologies. That's just who I'm going to be. That's who this church, that's how we're going to operate. And so with all of that said and out of the way, let's, let's begin with the first of the Beatitudes. Jesus teaches us this Principle, Matthew 5, verse 3, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as I mentioned, this message is going to be foundational. This particular principle, it is found, it's, it's the foundation for all of the others that are going to follow it. The principles that Jesus lays out here in these Beatitudes, they're, they're like building blocks, each one resting on the one that comes before it. And this particular one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It serves as the foundation for them all because within it is held the key ingredient for what it means to truly live a kingdom lifestyle. And if, if this is missing from our life, then none of the rest of the Beatitudes are going to be able to be operational and functional in our life. Because real happiness is only found when, when we become a true part of the kingdom. And if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you have to start by being poor in spirit. Now, first, let's notice what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say blessed in spirit are the poor. A lot of people have a certain theology that would say that, that um, if, if the poorer you are, maybe the more spiritual you are, the, the closer to God that you are. But the Bible does not tell us that there's something inherently spiritual about being poor um, from a wealth standpoint. Poverty doesn't guarantee us spirituality. The poor man is no closer to God than the rich or the wealthy man. What our Lord is concerned with here is 
the Spirit, though. He's concerned with man's attitude toward himself. He, he says that, that the attitude which leads to happiness and gains us entrance, access into this heavenly kingdom is the attitude that is emptied of a dependence upon self. And I've come to realize that that's the exact opposite way that this present world thinks most of the time. See, we, we have this tendency to admire um, we have this tendency to admire those that we refer to as being self-made men or, or women. We, we want to be just like those people. Oh, give me your secrets. Tell me how you did it so that I can model my life after you and I can do it as well. Or, or in advertisements, the media tells us that we're not supposed to let other people see us sweat. Or, or the, the MO of the world is often just fake it until you make it, right? Put on this, this pretense and let everybody think that you've got it in control. You've got it all together. Corporate America is looking for people with self-reliance, self-assurance, self-confidence, self-expression. The world says, I can handle it. I've got it under control. But God says today, just when you think you can handle it, just when you think you're able to stand beneath all of the pressure and the expectations, that's when you need to be the most careful because there's a good chance you might already be falling. See, the one who is poor in spirit is the one who isn't afraid to admit that he doesn't have all of the answers. It's the one who isn't afraid to ask for advice and then take that advice and act on it. It's the one who isn't afraid to call out to others for help. And it's two primary things that, that keep us from asking for help, that keep us from, from admitting our own personal need, that keep us away from being a person that is truly poor in spirit. And those two things are pride and greed. Pride and greed. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write those two words down. See, pride keeps us from asking for the help that we need. And greed causes us to keep all the credit for ourselves when things end up going right. And when we give in to those temptations in our life, we'll never be able to become a true member of the kingdom of heaven. And we'll never know what real happiness is because our needs will never be met. And what we'll do is we'll end up shutting out the very people who could bring help to our needs and who could be the instruments of bringing real joy to our lives. Those people that the Lord is surrounding us with, that, that he's wanting to use to make a difference in us. See, the one who is poor in spirit is the one who really recognizes that he or she cannot do it alone. It's the one that recognizes that they don't know everything that there is to be known. It's the one who recognizes that the problem can't be handled all by themselves. It's the one who's humble. It's the one who asks for help and then gratefully and joyfully receives it. You know, there's a whole lot of talk today that, that celebrates the efforts of so-called macho men and super women Yet those with that kind of attitude will simply never make it long-term in the kingdom of God. And neither one of those people will ever be truly happy. Because the one who is poor in spirit is the one who has learned that vengeance 
belongs to the Lord. The one who is poor in spirit is the one who has learned to let God be their defender. The one who is poor in spirit is the one who, though they have rights and may in fact be right, surrenders those rights in order to allow the Lord to work according to his will and his way. Have, have you ever almost gotten into an automobile accident at, at, at an intersection um, and, and the reason that you were almost hit is because you had the right of way and you started to go forward, only the other person didn't recognize that you had the right of way. And so then they almost ran into you causing an accident. So it was in that moment that, that you, you were well within your rights, but you were almost dead right, Right? See, poor in spirit says, it's an attitude that says, I'm right, but I'm not insisting on my rights. I'm right, but I'm not going to file the charges. I'm right, but I'm not taking my brother or sister to court to prove it. I'm right, but I'm not going to hold anything against them. I'm right, but I'm just going to let it go and let God deal with it in his time and in his way. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And that is absolutely contrary to the way the world operates. But that's the way of the kingdom. And Jesus tells us right off the bat that this is the key to experiencing happiness. There's one thing that I've learned about this attitude of being poor in spirit. And that is that you're never going to develop this characteristic by hearing a sermon and walking outside and and just deciding that that's how you're going to be doesn't just happen that way. It's, you're not going to slip and fall into becoming poor in spirit. You're not going to wake up one morning and just all of a sudden decide, you know, I think I'm going to be happy today. So you'll stop relying on your own ingenuity and stop trying to make things work according to your own efforts. And that, that's not how it happens. The only thing that can get you and me to a place where we can really make it by ourselves without, uh, uh, to, to stop thinking that we can really make it by ourselves without help from anybody is, is when we decide to once and for all stop comparing ourselves to one another. And, and stop evaluating our own strengths and weaknesses and instead start to look at the perfect model that we have been given in the scriptures. Because the truth is, is that when, when I evaluate myself, I can see improvement in a lot of areas. And I'll say, you know, I'm not as bad as I used to be. Lost a few pounds, gotten a little stronger. I might be more handsome than I was yesterday. What, no amen, honey, nothing? nothing. And I can easily justify those areas of weakness because after all, I'm getting better. Even though they exist, I'm working on them. So when it boils down to, I'm really not that bad after all. It's easy to come to the conclusion that if, if I just had enough time that I could really make it on my own, right? We think that. That's called self-deception. That's what that's called. And, and then what else happens is, is, is that we, we compare ourselves to others as well. And, and when we compare ourselves to others, we will always find someone who is worse than us. All right? Because that makes us feel, we're not going to compare ourselves to the person that's better than us. 
We're going to compare ourselves. You're not going to go up to like the, like in the gym. You're not going to go up to like the big hulking, like strongman or whatever. You're going to find like the weakest person in there, like struggling to just lift a few pounds and go, well, at least I'm not that guy. You know, that's how we operate, right? Right? And even if we do find someone where, with, with strengths where we're weak, we can, we can easily overshadow that and begin to pick apart their weaknesses. Because it's much easier for us to see the sliver in their eye than it is to see the log in our own. And so when, when we compare ourselves with others, we come away with the feeling that as long as we seem to be doing better than they are, that we'll just keep going the way that we're going. Because after all, we're really not that bad. And if we just have enough time, we can make it on our own. But if we want to know true happiness, that comes from being poor in spirit, then we shouldn't be looking at ourselves. We shouldn't be looking at other people. Instead, we should look at the Lord. And, and in Isaiah chapter 6, this, it paints a picture for us of what it truly means to be poor in spirit. I'll read it for you, just these first few verses. It says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And at this point, were you and I to have this experience that Isaiah had, many of us would write a book about the experience, and we would start to travel around the country talking um, in seminars and in, in groups of people about what it was like to experience the power and the presence of the Lord. And, and we would start a blog and become an Instagram influencer. And we would have a TikTok channel telling everyone all about it and how great we are because of this experience that the Lord had decided to dispense upon us. But listen to Isaiah's reaction instead. Here's what he does. Verse 5. Isaiah says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of the heaven's armies. This is a picture of poor in spirit. This is, is a man who is completely absent of pride. It's a man who is completely absent of self-assurance and self-reliance. It's a man who is completely absent of demanding his own personal rights. It's a man who recognizes that in the presence of Almighty God, who would dare exalt his own virtue? It's a man who recognizes that in the presence of Almighty God, who would dare proclaim his own ability to be righteous. It's instead a man who recognizes that in God's presence we cry out, I am doomed, I am sinful, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not persuasive enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not fill in the blank with anything enough. I'm just not enough. Because it's only when we recognize our need for help that Christ can bring us his help. It's only when we come to the place where we're totally depleted that Jesus can bring his full sufficiency to our lives. 
And so as long as we continue to move forward trying to defend ourselves, guess what? God's going to let us do it. But when we come to the place where we reach the complete end of ourself and begin to acknowledge him as Lord, that's when we'll begin to receive the help that we really need. See, only, only when, when we rely totally upon the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus can we be born again into the kingdom of God. Only when we realize that we cannot save ourselves is when we come to the place where we can be saved. Only when we realize the debt that we owe can the penalty for that debt of sin be paid. Only when we realize that our own unworthiness exists can then we be clothed in his robes of righteousness. Only when we realize that we are unclean can the angel touch our lips with a coal from the altar of the Lord to make us pure and holy. The one who is poor in spirit comes to Jesus saying with the hymn writer, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. That's the way that we gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's the introduction to the true place of happiness in our life. It's not only the way to enter the kingdom of heaven, though, it's the way also to stay in the kingdom of heaven, to live daily in the kingdom of heaven. It's this thing called surrender. It's coming to the realization that you're not Lord, but that he is Lord. That's really easy for me to stand up here and say that. It's, it's really easy for us to sing those songs that declare that about him. It's way more difficult to live it out. That's the path into the kingdom. He is Lord. The kingdom is only known by those who recognize the king, right? And so true happiness is only experienced by those who submit to the king as part of the kingdom. See, that's how we're going to experience the joy of forgiveness of sin. It's because he is Lord. That's how we're going to be able to lay our head down on our pillow at night and not toss and turn with the worry and anxiety of what tomorrow holds. It's because he is Lord. That's how we're going to be able to relax the stress. It's because he is Lord. That's how we're going to quit playing all the old recordings of the negative things that happened to us in the past in our mind. It's because he is Lord. That's how we're going to silence the voices of guilt and condemnation that resound in our ears not giving us a moment's peace. It's because he is Lord. That's how the disease is cured. He is Lord. That's how the addiction is overcome. He is Lord. I think some of you are starting to get the picture. That's how the shattered pieces are put back together and made whole again. It's because he is Lord. That's how the relationship gets restored. He is Lord. That's how the needed resources are provided. He is Lord. That's how the solution is found, how the prayer is answered, how the heart is mended. That's how joy is reclaimed in our life. It's because he is Lord. Somebody here this morning needs to stop looking at what isn't working in their life and instead start looking at their God. You are not Lord. He is Lord, and he is working on your behalf. That's the kingdom way to happiness. And here's how I know this to be true. In 
in each of these and verses that make up the Beatitudes and in the one that we read earlier, Jesus begins with the word blessed or blessed. We've already seen that this word is much more than mere happiness, circumstantial happiness. But I want you to see something here that has the power to totally transform your thinking and and change your life as a result. Notice the verbs in the verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are and is. Those are present tense verbs, meaning right now. Jesus says that when we come to the place where we are totally dependent on him, that the kingdom of heaven is ours right now. He says that, that right now, those of us who choose that kind of attitude, who, who submit to that kind of lifestyle, that right now we are blessed. See, most of us hear the word blessed and we think of something that's describing a condition. I am blessed, meaning I am fully satisfied or I am highly favored. There's something else much bigger going on here when we consider what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And it's simply this. Blessed is not how I am. Blessed is who I am. Blessed is not how I am. Blessed is who I am. Let me, let me explain to you, see if I can explain to you what, I, what I'm talking about. See, when I was born, I was given a name, Blake Snap. It's on my birth certificate. It's on my driver's license. It's how I'm known. It's how I'm identified. I've been called Blake Snap for my entire life, all 40 years, 11 months, and 14 days of it. When they called roll in school, I raised my hand to Blake Snap. When I learned to ride a bike, I was Blake Snap. When I learned to drive a car, I was Blake Snap. When I graduated from high school, when I received my bachelor's degree, when I got credentialed as a minister in the church of God, when I got married, when I received my master's degree, when my children were born, when I was appointed pastor of Christ Walk Church, I was, at every single one of those moments, Blake Snap. At every success of my life, every moment of celebration, I've been Blake Snap. There's something else you need to know about me, though. When I slipped on the playground in kindergarten and busted my head open requiring stitches, I was Blake Snap. When I failed the test, I was Blake Snap. When I let my parents down, I was Blake Snap. When I lost the tennis match, I was Blake Snap. When I was fired from the job, I was Blake Snap. When the officer wrote me a ticket, I was Blake Snap. When I totaled the car, I was Blake Snap. When the people left the church I was pastoring to go somewhere else, I was Blake Snap. See, not only have I been Blake Snap during all of the successes and celebrations, But I've also been Blake Snap during every trial, every hardship, every failure, and every disappointment. The circumstances of my life have changed many times over, but who I am continues 
to remain the same. And while the circumstances of life may change my condition, they don't change who I am. They may change how I feel, but they'll never change my name. Because that's who I am. I'm Blake Snap. And Jesus says that when we become totally dependent on him, the kingdom of heaven belongs to us. And that our current status is blessed. See, I told you at the beginning, our outlook determines our outcome. Our attitude determines our altitude. And so that means that we're blessed. Because Jesus says so. We are blessed. When the sun is shining and when the birds are tweeting and the breeze is blowing and the grass is green and we're surrounded by friends and the bank account is full, in all of those moments, we are blessed. But guess what? When life stinks, you're still blessed. When you lose your job and there's more months than there is money, you're blessed. When the cupboard is empty, you're still blessed. When that loved one is no longer with you, you're still blessed. When your health fails, when trouble looms, when trials come, when tragedy strikes, you are still blessed. See, circumstances, they may rob us of our happiness, but they can't take away our blessing. Blessed isn't how we are. Blessed is who we are. Totally dependent on Jesus. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you and I are blessed. That's what I came to tell somebody this morning. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ before, you've never stepped in to citizenship of that heavenly kingdom, but today you would like to, maybe for the first time, here in this room, watching with us online, I just wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.